Well, today we will begin a study through the book of 1 Corinthians, so please go ahead and open up your Bibles there. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And while you're finding that in your Bible, I'll give you a brief overview here. The church at the city of Cornmouth was a body of believers, not unlike many churches in America today, in that it was a church with many problems. The Apostle Paul wrote this letter to them to express his concerns with them and to offer instruction to them on how they could fix their problems. The reason this church had problems was because, well, there were people there. <laughs> if there were no people that gathered together at the church at Cornmouth, there would be no problems there, right? Well, same holds true today, doesn't it, with the modern-day body of Christ. We will rub each other wrong from time to time, but the good news is that God knew all of this about us, and he put 1 Corinthians in our Bibles to help us. Through his word, God speaks to us today, and by his Spirit at work through his word and in our hearts, God instructs us in regards to the problems that we may face with each other and also the problems that we have within our own hearts. In this book, we will study about things like how to be an effective minister for Jesus Christ, Christian conduct, Christian liberty, spiritual maturity, spiritual gifts, and we'll even talk about the resurrection of the dead. If the Lord tarries and it be his will, we will be studying First and Second Corinthians for about eight months, so... If we want to finish before the Lord returns, we better go ahead and get started. So verse 1 of 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Paul, called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ through the will of God, and Sosthenes, our brother. Now right off the bat here, let me just quickly point something out. Paul had a struggle with the people of Cornmouth, and that they always seemed to be questioning his apostleship. As you read through First and Second Corinthians, you can easily deduce this fact. So, as Paul starts out this letter here, it is as you know, it's as it's as if he is saying, "You all may not recognize my right to be an apostle, but I don't really care what you have to say because I am not a, an apostle." because of someone else choosing me to be. I am not an apostle through the appointment of the other apostles. I am an apostle of Jesus Christ through the will of God. That's what Paul's saying here. Now, another thing that's kind of interesting here about verse 1 is that it mentions this man named Sosthenes. If you remember back when we studied through the book of Acts, there was a man named Crispus, and Crispus was the leader of a synagogue, and he became a, be a believer in Jesus Christ and seemed to be ousted as a result of that faith. Then the next guy that took his place in the synagogue was a guy named Sosthenes. And here Paul mentions Sosthenes as a brother. So if indeed this is the same Sosthenes, then it's pretty awesome that we have record of 
him coming to faith in Jesus Christ as well. But in any case, verse 2 continues, to the church of God, which is at Cornrith, to those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints, with all who in every place call on the name of Jesus Christ our Lord, both theirs and ours. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So we see here that not only was this letter written to the church at Cornmouth, but it's also written to those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints, with all who in every place call on the name of Jesus Christ. So with that in mind, the content of this letter and its application will carry on from generation to generation until all things are complete and the body of Christ is forever with the Lord. So as we read this, we do so not only from a historical standpoint, but also from a very, very practical standpoint. What we will study in this letter can have a great impact on us today if we will just apply it in our daily lives. Jesus is Lord of all and Lord always. He was the Lord of Paul, the Lord of the Corinthians, and he is Lord of us all. And we have been sanctified in Christ Jesus and are called saints. And in this letter here, we will see how saints should live. Look at verse 4. I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God which was given to you by Christ Jesus. You know, that is something right there that should be on the top of our list when we are giving thanks to God. The fact that God's grace was given to us by Christ Jesus. We need to often stop and, and think about the love that God has shown us by giving us His only begotten Son, Jesus Christ. When we gather on Sunday mornings or Tuesday evenings or whenever you gather and, and we worship, you know, we don't do so because we are worthy. We worship the Lord because He is worthy. Revelation 5.12 says, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. By His grace, and by His grace alone, we have been sanctified. And Paul here says to the Corinthians that he thanks God for the grace that was given by Jesus Christ to those that were in the city of Cornwall. And then verse 5 says that you were enriched in everything by Him in all utterance and all knowledge, even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you, so that you come short in no gift, eagerly waiting for the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will also confirm you to the end that you may be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. So verse 5 there says that we were enriched by Jesus in everything and in all utterance and all knowledge. That word utterance in the original Greek, is the word logos. And it means 
a word uttered by a living voice. And that word knowledge there in verse 5 is the Greek word gnosis, and it means a deeper, more perfect, and enlarged knowledge. So you see, by God's grace, the Corinthians were all abuzz with Jesus. They were speaking about Jesus and growing in their knowledge of Jesus. And this was all happening because the testimony of Christ was being confirmed in them. Do you see that there in verse 6? They were eagerly waiting for the Lord to come back, and the Lord was working in them to make them blameless. And you know, nothing has changed today, folks. These things should be the very things that are true about our lives today. We are to be waiting for the return of Jesus Christ, talking about Jesus Christ, growing in our knowledge of Jesus Christ, sharing our testimony with others. That was what the early church did. And we're still living in that same church age. And verse 7 there says that we come short in no gift as we eagerly are waiting for the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, the early church came short in no gift because they were constantly growing in, talking about, and waiting on Jesus. That was their focus. What about us today? Is that what we are doing? You know, one of my favorite old songs is called When I Think About the Lord. And the words to that song are, When I think about the Lord, how He saved me, how He raised me, how He filled me with the Holy Ghost, how He healed me to the uttermost. When I think about the Lord, how He picked me up, turned me around, how He set my feet on solid ground. It makes me want to shout, Hallelujah, thank you, Jesus. Lord, you are worthy of all the glory and all the honor and all the praise. And you know, that's what the Holy Spirit is saying in this letter thus far to us. God is good. Praise Him. We've been sanctified by Jesus. Think about the Lord always. Remember His grace always. And one last thing before we move on to verse 9. In verse 8 it says there that Jesus will confirm us to the end. You see, you can take it differently if you'd like, but as I studied it, I see that to mean that we are always going to be a work in progress. We will keep on growing in the Lord as long as we stay the course. As long as we keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, He will confirm us till the end. And God is faithful. And verse 9 says that. It says God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Now I plead with you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing and that there be no divisions among you but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. You see, as I read those verses there, it causes me to think that since God is so good and He has given us so much, why is there division amongst us? Why don't we just come together 
around the facts that we see here in these verses. If we would just be like-minded on these facts, we would be too busy praising God for His goodness to be caught up in being divisive with one another and tearing each other down. When you see churches caught up in turf wars and sheep wars, you know they're not focused on Jesus. When pastors are attacking other pastors and telling that pastor they're not called or this, that, or the other thing, they shouldn't have a so, you know, they shouldn't build their church there or whatever it may be. These types of pastors are practicing a doctrine that is contrary to what we see in scriptures. And as individuals in the body of Christ, we cannot allow ourselves to go there. We must note them that cause that type of division and avoid them. We just need to move on in Jesus. Stay focused on Jesus and Jesus alone. Stay the course. Keep walking by faith in His will. And don't worry about the will of others. Just keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. And Paul continues on here in verse 13. For it has been declared to me concerning you, my brethren, by those of Chloe's house, that there are contentions among you. Now, Chloe's household, you know, kind of got ratted, ratted out here, didn't they, right? This is the reason that Paul knew all that he knew about what was going on at the church of Corinth. Chloe's household told him what was going on. And verse 12 says, now I say this, that each of you says, I am of Paul, or I am of Apollos, or I am of Cephas, or I am of Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? You see, only Jesus was crucified for us, right? So he is the only one that we should be followers of. But again, we see this kind of thing in modern-day Christianity, don't we? The church has been cut up into so many little pieces that it has become completely unattractive to the lost people of the world. And we represent Jesus so poorly that the world says they want nothing to do with him. You see, I don't believe that the world needs to hear about our church gatherings. It shouldn't be about our place of worship. We should focus instead on making it about our testimony of Jesus and of God's grace and of the soon return of Jesus Christ. We should be letting people know how God has loved us and how He is reaching out to them in love. We really can and we really should keep it that simple. And that is when we will begin to see the Holy Spirit do His work in us and through us. Let's move on. Verse 14, I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus. He was that synagogue leader that got saved, right? And Gaius, lest anyone should say that I have baptized in my own name. Yes, I also baptized the household of Stephanus. Besides, I do not know whether I baptized any other. You see, Paul made sure that he did everything he did in the name of Jesus Christ. 
And would to God that that would be the case for all of us. Paul didn't want people following him. He didn't want to be Pastor Paul with the privileged parking spot. He didn't want people calling him God's anointed. He didn't need to be the big man on campus. He didn't act as if his word was the final word. Instead, he made sure that all eyes were off of him and that all eyes were on Jesus instead. But unfortunately today, in many cases, it seems to be all about the name of the church or the name of the pastor. People say things like, oh, well, I am of uh, you know XYZ church, or oh, I am of ABC church, or well, I am of LMNOP church, but... And then others say, oh, well, I'm non-denominational. Well, you see, we need to get back to the simplicity of it all just being about Jesus Christ. The name above all names. Verse 17, for Christ did not send me to baptize, Paul says, but to preach the gospel not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of no effect. So you see, Paul knew his calling. He was not an eloquent speaker, and he didn't want to be. The wisdom that he offered was not the wisdom of his words, but rather the simplicity of the cross of Jesus Christ. And we today can say, yeah, I know all of that. But the real question is, is, Do we live like this? Are we out preaching the gospel? Are we sharing the message of the cross of Jesus Christ? Or are we just building our own kingdom? Trying to get our churches bigger and make more parking lots and buildings and stuff. Let's mark this page and turn for a few moments to 2 Peter chapter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1, it's toward the back of your Bible. You'll find Hebrews, James, 1 Peter, then 2 Peter. 2 Peter chapter 1. And let's read verse 16. So 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 16. For we did not follow cunningly devised fables when we made known to you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. You know, today it seems in many cases that there are a lot of Bible teachers that are turning to fables. They are coming with programs and gimmicks and trying to get people to come to their church, bigger worship teams, great special effect lighting, you know, electric signs out front, movie nights, and lots of good stories to entertain. But what about preaching of the gospel? What about the message of the cross? We need to let the world know that God loves them so much that he himself was willing to come to become flesh and to die for them, that he might redeem them from this world and give them 
and eternal hope. Why have we gotten so far away from the simplicity of the gospel, of just making Jesus known? Jesus is the answer. He's the answer for marital problems, divorce. He's the answer for drug addiction. He's the answer for all things. Problems with your children, guilt, shame, unforgiveness, worries, doubts. Jesus is the answer. He is our peace. Yes, the world has trouble seeing this, but we, the church, should not have trouble proclaiming it. Turn back to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Verse 18 continues, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved it is the power of God. Today, many people are looking for the power of God in everything but the cross. They look for emotional experiences and seek self-gratification. But what we need is the power of God that is in the message of the cross. You see, the body of Christ must preach the cross. The cross means forgiveness. The cross means freedom from sin. But don't forget that it starts with repentance. Many proclaim to believe in the death of Jesus on the cross, but they still walk in the deadness of their sin because they have not personally taken up the cross and died to themselves. We don't need more lushly landscaped churches that tell good stories, that provide good entertainment. We need the preaching of the cross on your street, in your neighborhood, First of all, in your own home. Well, actually, first of all, in your own heart. Then in your home. Then to the streets. Then throughout your counties and towns and throughout the world. Verse 19 says, For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. You know, I really believe that if we keep trying to build the kingdom of God with the wisdom of man, then eventually our plans will be brought to nothing. Or at least we will become powerless and weak and ineffective. I personally want to stay focused on Jesus and Jesus alone. I want my life to simply point people to Jesus, be it in times of hardship or be it in times of great joy. And if you would just Turn up just one chapter here to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, and you look at verse 2 there. Paul said, For I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. That's where I want to be. You can have all the rest. Just give me Jesus. He is who we all need. And flipping back to chapter 1, verse 20, 
It says, where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom did not know God, it pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. You know, this earth has had so many so-called wise men and wise women walk upon it. But none of them have ever been wise enough to understand God. Mark this page and, and let's turn to Romans chapter 11. Romans chapter 11. Verse 33. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. For who has known the mind of the Lord, or who has become his counselor, or who has first given to him, and it shall be repaid to him? For of him and through him and to him are all things, to whom be glory forever. Amen. In Job chapter 9, Job was speaking of God, and he said of God that he does great things past finding out. Yes, wonders without number. That's what Job said of God. You see, God is incomprehensible. He's far too big for us to know. But the good news of the gospel is that he has made himself known in Jesus Christ. Jesus has made non or excuse me has made God known to us through the cross. The veil has been torn and we now have access to his throne of grace. And turning back to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul continues on in verse 22 and says, For Jews request the sign, and Greeks seek after wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, to the Jews a stumbling block, and to the Greeks foolishness. Why is the message of Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews. Well, because if he was the Messiah, as Paul preached, then they missed him. They wanted a political leader that would protect them and make them sound, maybe even economically sound, politically sound, you know, to think that their Messiah was humiliated by Death on a cross is unthinkable. That's why they would put so much energy into getting rid of the Apostle Paul and anyone else that would preach that Jesus is the Christ. And you know, that philosophical Greek mentality of wisdom and deep thought, that still exists today. And people who say that the message of the cross is too simplistic. And they think they have to add other things to the message to appeal to the masses. But what is the cross to you and me? 
Verse 24, But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. It doesn't get any more clearer than that. The cross of Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God to you and me. Do you want to know God? Do you want to know the power of God? Then come to the cross of Christ. Surrender your life there. Verse 25, because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. You see, God stooped to the lowest form by becoming a man, and in so doing, he was the greatest, most wisest, strongest man to ever live. There is a lot of power in verse 25 there when you meditate on it, and I encourage you to do so. I want to read it to you again. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Then verse 26, For you see your calling, brethren, that not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. You know, I sit before you this morning with no college degree, no seminary training, but I know beyond the shadow of a doubt that I am called to teach the Word of God. And to this, I have nothing to say but to God be the glory if He uses me at all. Because there is absolutely nothing mighty, nothing noble or wise about me at all. I have no worthiness to do what I am doing. But nonetheless, my calling is sure, and by faith I continue in this calling. And verse 27, But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise, and God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty, and the base things of the world, and the things which are despised God has chosen, and the things which are not, to bring to nothing the things that are, that no flesh should glory in his presence. You know, if I had a resume that highlighted who I really am, it would say that I am a foolish thing, a base thing, a weak thing, a despised thing, chosen by God. And I would encourage you not to smother or allow anyone else to smother your calling in Jesus Christ. Step up and step out. Walk by faith in your calling. For me, if he gives me one person to teach, I teach that one person. If he gives me 100, I do the same. But it's all to his glory and to his glory alone. Verse 30, but of him you are in Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, that as it is written, he who glories, let him glory in the Lord. You know, when churches try to outdo one another, it causes division within the body of Christ, or when pastors do that with one another. And when we think too highly, of ourselves, we steal the spotlight from Jesus Christ. Paul, in this letter to the Corinthians, was reminding them that it's all about Jesus and absolutely nothing about them. 
And today, I suggest that we let this chapter remind us of the very same thing, that it's all about Jesus and not about us at all. We'll close this morning by reading from Philippians chapter 2. Please turn there, Philippians chapter 2. It's to the right a few books. And we'll read verses 5 through 15. So Philippians chapter 2, starting in verse 5, it says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Now pause right there. It says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. You see, everything from this point on here is how we are to think and behave. Verse 6, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore, God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. Do all things without complaining and disputing, that you may become blameless and harmless, children of God without fault, in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world. So you see, it is Jesus that we are to emulate. Not Paul, not Apollos, not your pastor, not your church, not your denomination, not your non-denomination, not an affiliation, right? It's Jesus and Jesus alone. His grace is sufficient for us. His strength is made perfect. How? In our weakness. It is Him and Him alone that we place our faith and our trust in. Remember, a pastor or a Bible teacher will not stand in your place when you have to stand before the Lord someday. You have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And we all need to continue to grow in the grace and in the knowledge of Him, but it starts when we humble ourselves and we realize that apart from Him, we can do nothing and that we are nothing and that we exalt Him and Him only. Jesus and Jesus alone has redeemed us. We've been bought with a price and we belong to Him. And never forget the power of the cross. God bless.